This is the Becoming Man podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Melke, here with co-host Marshall McElhaney. Integrating our knowledge and experience as family therapists, husbands, fathers, and men, we explore a wide range of topics from a masculine perspective, including mental health, relationships, fatherhood, and meaning-making in today's ever-evolving world. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode three of the Becoming Man podcast. I'm Dr. Anthony Melke here with Marshall McElhaney. Hey, Marshall. Howdy, Anthony. We're doing something a little different today. We're recording midday on a Monday, midwork day. Yep. Um, I don't know if I like that. I prefer fun recording time, but I'm thinking we got to give the people what they want. <laughs> I'm thinking about emails and. The class I'm about to teach tonight and everything else that comes along with a Monday. So just, breathe it in. Just getting breathe it in and then breathe it out. Um so today we're gonna be talking about strategies to deal with depression, anxiety, lots of the other things that we covered last episode. If you haven't listened to this episode, I suggest going back to episode two first. Um where we talk about some of the statistics around uh, men's mental health, depression, suicide. It's a pretty heavy episode, mm. um, but it's not all bad, and that's what we're going to cover today. We'll be going over some uh, some research about what helps men's mental health, um, well, everyone's mental health, but we're talking about men, and there is some specific research around what helps men's mental health. Um, we'll be answering the question that we had to leave hanging last week around exercise and movement and its benefit for mental health. And I believe Marshall men's mental health in particular as well. Did you pull info on just men? I I don't even know if it exists. Um, the exercise one's more specific for just everyone. For humans. (laughs) Yeah, for humans. Humans? Well, good. Not specific at all, actually. So the answer is no. (laughs) There is no gender-specific info, which may, I think, one of the one of TJ's one part of TJ's question was: Is there a specific benefit for you know for men whether than uh, or men more than women or one gender over another? And possibly the answer is no because of that. But we'll get into all of that. We have some introductory stuff to do first. I started that rant, that intro, because one of the things we're going to talk about is calming stuff how to work with our bodies to help Mm -hmm. and i found out a couple years ago that when we breathe breathing out is actually as or more important in using breath to calm us than breathing in i've always thought of like breathing in is Mm -hmm. that's the goal but we have to breathe out too Mm. fascinating i didn't know that deep breaths in and out yeah 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 i would have guessed it was the combination but the second part's more important, huh? Apparently. Wow. Or as important, like as I said. Important. Yeah. As gotcha. Um, 
anyway. You know what's really interesting? Is I think you did a coping skill at the beginning of this. I did. That's why I started talking about. So I started talking about it. I was gonna just jump right into it, and then I realized yeah. I had to do some context. Name it, name it, huh? Name, yeah. We'll get to that too. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Okay. Um, some intro stuff. I know for me, I just wanted to say, and I, and I think Marshall can reflect this too. I have had so many good conversations since over the last couple weeks since we started doing this, um, and it is really meaningful Um, just hearing from people I know um, personally or messages that we've been getting um, it's so edifying Um, and I think a lot of what's at play in that we're going to be talking about today some connections relationships Mm -hmm. not not going in alone stuff like that Um, but I just wanted to give a big thank you encourage the communication from everyone um we really appreciate it. I don't know what your experience has been, Marshall. But. No, exactly the same. Um, I think last episode, you know, I was talking about more of those like uh, unifying conversations where you're talking, you know, about like, hey, people were experiencing the same thing you were, yeah, but no one talked about it. And yeah. now I feel like our roles have reversed here a little bit. Mm. I started getting more messages like that of like, hey, mm. I was going through this. It's like, holy smokes, me too. Mm. How how were we friends or mm-hmm. close or you know, going through the similar things in a similar time frame and no one ever brought Nobody it up. Talked about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, this is about conversation. Yeah. And it. Uh, I'll say it only one more time for for the next 10 minutes and I'll probably say it again it's so meaningful to hear from people that they're finding it meaningful so thank you thank you everyone um okay bit of housekeeping and then we're gonna jump right in um I feel like I have a Monday afternoon attitude when we record on Fridays I'm like I feel I don't know just a little less serious I feel serious today yeah you look a little serious I feel really serious yeah Anyway, <laughs> for those of you who can't see, which is everybody, I wrote a beautiful outline for this episode. I shared it on the Google Doc with you. It's the first time I've been able to do that. Yeah. Anthony also informed me he bought his first pair of tennis shoes, so if you want to listen sneakers. to episode one, sorry, sneakers. sneakers. He's finally catching on board. <laughs> Um, okay. So today we'll be talking about, again, mental health strategies, things that work for men, both in and out of therapy, uh, to fight, to deal with things like depression, things like suicidal thoughts, things like anxiety, and not just deal with them, but move past dealing with them into more of a thriving place rather than a surviving place. Depending on what happens today, we will most likely be taking a, uh, a big step sort of um, going from you know these, these more research-based, statistics-driven episodes to more of a look in general as uh, how masculinity as a culture has developed in the United States. So today we're talking about what works and then hope, hope to pull back and to give some context around what is the what are the social and cultural narratives that all of these things that we've been talking about again depression suicide 
therapy, uh, mental health issues, what's the context that it takes place in and how to sort of place ourselves um, in that context as we're trying to move forward as healthy men and healthy humans. So um, anything you want to add to that, Marshall? Nope. Okay. I'm good. Have you heard of the social styles? Social styles? Yeah. It's a, it's an assessment. It's like there's four social styles. There's, um, I can't remember what they all are. Uh-uh. It's like driver. Is this similar to communication styles? Uh, I can't remember. I was just going to say I, I'm embodying my driver social style right now. Just, so I'm going to shut up for a little bit. <laughs> and hand it off to you to talk about some of the uh, benefits of exercise and how to use our bodies sure. for wellness. Sure. So answering the second half of, was it TJ? TJ, yeah. Again, thanks for the, thanks for the question, TJ. Um, as I so awfully said earlier, these statistics are not just for males, but uh, exercise has, can have a vast improvement on our mental health. Um, it can combat depression, anxiety, ADHD. PTSD is another big one. PTSD being post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. All of these are, are able to decrease with some form of exercise. Um, one thing that kind of happens, and this is kind of therapy lingo, but I'll do my best to explain it, and you can hop in here too, Anthony, if you want. Um, bilateral stimulation, okay? It's something that happens in our brain when we run, walk, jog, drumming does it. Um, and what it does is activate, utilizes both sides of your brain. You think in left and right half. This is very basic for all the neurofeedback nerds, so forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially starts to activate both sides of your brain and create a sense of rhythm. Um, there's lots of forms of therapy that use rhythm. Um, EMDR, dance, movement, um, lots of different things. But essentially, this is what happens with those types of exercise that helps calm our bodies and our brains in a way that can help decrease um, those types of mental illnesses. Okay, so let's unpack a little bit of that. Sure, a lot held in there. So bilateral stimulation, that basically means one side of your nervous system is activated than the other. Correct. Um, so running, running, we run with our right foot, left foot, right Correct. Foot, left foot, both, both back arms and forth, moving. back and forth, back yeah. and forth. And if you even, um, you know. Uh, for those of you listening, if you just want to pause this for a minute and take a moment, um, you know, if you're around other people, tap your right to, foot, left foot, right foot, mm -hmm. left foot. Or if you're not around other people and are willing to be a little uh, more experiential, do a little more. Put, you know, uh, do almost like a, an X across your chest. So you have your right hand on your left shoulder and your left hand on your right shoulder. Give yourself a shoulder hug. A shoulder hug and tap back and forth very likely you'll notice that your body starts to relax um, without going too far into the weeds on this Marshall mentioned EMDR which is a therapy it's eye movement desensitization mm -hmm. reprocessing reprocessing thank you uh, the person who figured it out was stressed walking around her university campus and realized that as she was thinking her eyes were moving back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth and since she was a researcher, 
she thought she was onto something and turns out she was. Now there's this whole process of dealing with trauma involved that involves going through the, the thought processes involved in the traumatic event or events while getting some sort of bilateral stimulation, whether it's tapping or moving your eyes back and forth. And it's incredibly effective um, in treating trauma. So um, what we're talking about here is taking that sort of body wisdom the, that's kind of been captured in a lot of the, the therapies that are involved in, in using this, this uh, bilateral stimulation and pointing out that this is, in essence, what happens when we're moving, yeah. period, running, uh, walking, etc. So not only are there physical health benefits, cardiovascular, which we have no right to talk about since we're not medical doctors. Um, <laughs> there's also mental health benefits. Yeah, but that's but that's also what the research will show. Right, we we can't uh, take ownership of this, so to speak, and be experts. Yeah. But the research shows. Exercise can relieve stress, improve your memory, help yeah. you sleep better, improve your mood. Um, not to mention all the the health of uh, in your heart and cardio, like you're talking about, Anthony. Um, if actually now that we're mentioning this, and I'm thinking about some of those articles that I read, that was specifically for men. Looking, the research mm-hmm. was looking at the benefits for um, cardiovascular health mm-hmm. and helping men in that way. Um, cool. Yeah. The last bit I have here is more depression specific, Anthony. Um, and studies have shown that you can treat mild depression as effectively as with medication if you are running or walking a certain amount of time a day. So mm-hmm. it's 15 minutes for running, and I believe it was an hour-ish for walking, mm-hmm. can reduce depression up to 26%. So again, um, that right, what we were talking about, that bilateral stimulation, mm-hmm. movement from both sides of your body and your brain, can help decrease those instances of depression or depressive symptoms in individuals. I was also told um, by a therapist I saw in Minnesota that um, moving big muscle groups like your your thighs, you know, <laughs> leg day, <laughs> um, involved. This would be involved in running and walking too. Yeah, is really really helpful for. Um, a lot of mental health outcomes, processing stress, those uh, um, posterior chain movements. No idea what that means. <laughs> Fill me in. That's what she's. That's what they're talking about. Deadlifting is a big one. Squatting is a big one. Um, again, this is stuff for a future episode, I believe. But helping you use utilize compound movements and specifically the lower half of your body, mm-hmm. generating force to to move stuff through your body. Yeah. Yeah, we probably at some point we'll do a whole episode on trauma. Um, what we mean by that, some of the research on it, some of the science of the nervous system involved in, in what, uh, how it's stored, how it's released, all of those things. Um, but I really do think that that's probably a, that's an hour in itself easy. Meathead heavy. Meathead <laughs> heavy. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be your jam. <laughs> all the science words um so that's that's exercise specific i think it's fairly common knowledge now um the benefits of exercise to physical health obviously social health and i think for a lot of us um we're realizing relational health too yeah over the last year you know being able to 
running groups, cycling groups, um, sports. Yeah. You know, uh, all of those things, the, the exercise and physical activity, it's, it, it benefits in the body. There's, there's physiological benefits to mental and physical health too, but there's also relational connecting uh, benefits that are just as important. Um, For sure. And then we loop that back in, right? When our relationships are good, our physical health gets better. Mm-hmm. When our physical health gets better, our mental health gets better. Yeah, can I get can I get really nerdy with you for a second? Please. I'm wondering, and you may mean both, but when we talk about relationship, you know, sometimes I'm talking about the relationship with myself, and sometimes it's relationship with others. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what you're specifically talking about when you're referencing that right now. Others. Yeah. Um, but now you've opened the door into self-esteem and self-image, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, when we're moving and feeling capable in our bodies, often we feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Um, we see ourselves as capable, um, confident, having agency, a lot of things. And I don't even necessarily mean conforming to, to, or meeting body image s- standards, um, just feeling better in what we can do I actually had have had some interesting conversations I think for me as a male um, a lot of my self-esteem related to my body is really uh, connected to its ability to be my ability to be capable with my body yeah. if I feel like I'm lifting heavy that I'm running fast that my cardio is good you know when I'm playing rugby I feel like I had a good game I'm much less concerned about what it looks like, what my body looks like, because I feel capable, you know, because my self-worth got so tied up to in being physically capable. Um, especially since I have the physique of a lawn gnome, the, (laughs) the Ronaldo physique was not in the cards for me. (laughs) So no, your next gift now. Yeah. You're going to get a personalized lawn gnome. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Becoming man merchandise coming soon. Yeah, lawn gnomes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I've had these conversations with women before, and uh, they've described a different experience, but not yeah. completely different. I, I have yeah. a little bit different take for myself. I think, I think all those things were definitely present for me at one point, and, and still are. I'm being honest. Yeah. But I use, I use this example with clients all the time and talking about your relationship with yourself and your relationship with other people. And I like to use exercises as one for me. Um, looking at exercises, am I doing it in a way to feel connected with myself and with mm-hmm. others? Or am I doing it not to feel something? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. as I've become more um, aware of what's happening for me mm-hmm. and within me, so to speak, mm-hmm the more I'm really aware of like, oh yeah, I'm really trying not to think or feel something right now. Mm. Um, versus there's an actual mind body connection where, you know, it's not that it's not healthy for me in the other way too, mm. just healthy in a different way where mm. one is, um, I don't know, a, a feel good stress relief or once mm. more of an anger, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man. I have a whole, I've had, I feel like I've had a whole saga with, 
exercise. Mm-hmm. Like a, a, it's almost like a relationship story. Yeah. We were codependent at first. We did everything together, but my self-worth was so tied up in exercise that I couldn't even really, and it never really filled me up because there was always fitter people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I took a break. I broke up. It's not you. It's me. It, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I was, this was being played out actually this morning at my workout. I went back to the CrossFit gym for the first time in a month because my, my lower back was just messed up. So chiropractor resting, all that stuff. Yeah. And I told myself like, all right, this is going to be different. I'm going to go in and I'm just going to lift well, but not over, overextend myself because that's what I got into. I would see other people yeah. at the gym and I'm like, I can totally do that. Yeah. halfway through we were doing a one rep max max which was like the worst thing to do on your first day back because you know after, i get those after a month of yeah, resting yeah you know, i'm like, back i'm like i'm gonna do this you know yeah and i was i was talking to the guy working out next to me and i had to play out this dynamic like he was doing a weight that i know i theoretically could do if i was not being healthy mm-hmm. and i was doing a weight that i was way lighter yeah and i was like it's my ego. I'm fighting my ego right now <laughs> because again, self worth so yeah. tied up into being. You were shooting all over yourself. I huh? was shooting all over myself. Yeah. Anyway, we got down the exercise rabbit hole a little bit, but um, but what I was trying to say is, I hear you with yeah. that um, changing the relationship to exercise. I'm doing this because it's good for me, yeah. not because I'm working out of some place a, a place of deficit where I. I feel worthless or I feel like trash or I hate my body or yeah. I'm angry and so I'm dissociating and all, you know, disconnecting yeah. from my body, all that stuff. Well, and I think the reason, you know, I'm bringing it up, Anthony, is as we go through describing what we're talking about with origin, identity, and legacy, right? And we talk about relationship being such a key to this. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a few relationships happening. We'll just talk about these two for now, but that's mm-hmm. with yourself and then with others. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of exploring that dynamic a little bit is probably important. Yeah. Okay. Pivoting a little bit. Um, I want to talk about some research that was done within the mental health field um, about how therapy works and the factors that um, are involved in effective therapy for men. Um Again, probably a caveat of this isn't a comprehensive list of what's effective or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was working on my dissertation, I was really interested in what worked for men and what uh, what barriers existed for men in accessing mental health services in particular. Uh, I think I said it last episode, just because we're coming from a mental health perspective as as therapists, that isn't to say that therapy is the only road to um, a healthy mental and relational life. By far, it's not the only road. It's not the only answer to wellness. It's not the only answer to wellness, yeah. Um, so I, I only mention that because there are aspects of what I'm about to talk about that can be taken out of the therapy context and just integrated into your own life. Um, I think I want to end our episode talking about some of my experience of that, and hopefully you have some as well. Sure. Um, that, yes, coming to therapy is important if you need it, if you're feeling so down that you can't shake it, or your normal ways of coping with it, it's not happening. But again, there are, there are um, 
there are nuggets in these numbers and in, in these stories that are being told by the research that you can start to implement in your life now. Yeah. Um, so, can I just say one thing real mm-hmm. fast and nitpick what you just said? Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't feel, feel like it has to be just so down that you can't shake it, right? I feel like it just has to be a want if you want to explore Definitely. and yeah. spend time with it. Therapy can be a great answer, but it doesn't have to be the answer. Yeah. But you don't have to be down in the dumps. You don't have to hit rock bottom to no. come. Yeah. Absolutely not. That's a good point. I waited to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Me it's too. A long, it's a long way out. <laughs> me too. <laughs> you wait that long. A lot of men do, honestly. Well, a lot of people do in coming to therapy, but a, a lot of men do. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm about to lose my marriage. Can yeah. you help me now? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but. Yeah. Would have been nice to see you before. Um, yep. Yep. Good point. Okay. So the research that I'm going to be talking about um, looked at masculinity, which is so hard to define, you know. So we'll just not. <laughs> we'll go with the common understanding of masculinity. For my dissertation, I wrote, do you remember this? Like some super wordy, it's like a sentence that's a paragraph long with Is all the these. Is the word like, epistemological in there? No. It's, oh, a, that's shocking. It's actually not. <laughs> but it's like the subjective correlation of a certain identifier. <laughs> it doesn't, we don't have to talk about it, but it's essentially, maybe it's a way to like, I think when we talk about masculinity, we mean our maleness in some yeah. way, like what it means to be a man, um, to us and to the culture around us and all of those things. So yeah. how, so this research is talking about how masculinity as an idea or, uh, as a way of, um, you know, understanding your identity as a male, like uh, in these certain parts of masculinity, how it either helps or hinders mental health treatment. Um, and in particular, when I was doing the review for my dissertation, I came across some really fascinating studies done um, in military uh, with veterans. I think it was actually up in Minneapolis um, at the VA there, but it was uh, group therapy mostly that there's this whole series of of articles on um but one of the articles was uh, was the research was conducted with a group of veterans um who were actually sexual trauma survivors um either in the military or before their military career so this could have been as kids or you know there is um an issue that exists in the military of sexual assault in some areas, you know, um, unfortunately. So this study started out with looking at, okay, how was masculinity used in a way that made this problem worse? How was the idea of masculinity used by the men in the group to, to not deal with their symptoms from their trauma? Sure. Um, and so uh, they started talking about the the men saying and doing things that are connected with what we would say like hyper masculinity so being over sexualized over violent mm-hmm. incredibly cut off from emotion you know these these things that we um, associate with um, that can be associated with masculinity that can be harmful right um, so a lot of the men in this group were using those behaviors. Um, I, I'm remembering some of the stories. There were, there were stories about men who, um, you know, were 
we're seeking out sexual partners um, at an alarming rate, dangerously. Being a know. scoundrel. Being a scoundrel. What do you mean? <laughs> I was trying to think of another way to describe, uh, since we're not swearing profusely on this podcast oh, yet. Yeah. yeah, we're going to try not to swear. No. To describe being an, an, an F-boy, a scoundrel, right? Someone who is... <laughs> You know, seeking out multiple partners for the sake of seeking out multiple partners. Yeah, I think I struggle with the association of, of scoundrel, the, the judgment, the the in, the inherent judgment uh, statement, value statement on the word scoundrel. Gotcha. But yes, people who would be labeled as scoundrels. Okay, just making sure we're speaking the same <laughs> yeah, language. Yeah, um, harmful, harmful to themselves and the yeah. other people. So they're doing these dangerous behaviors, and they attribute attribute them to masculinity. Um, but in the same group, and this is what's fascinating, is uh, the treatment ended up in large part being very effective, this group therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the men who said they were doing these hyper-masculine things in order to cope with their trauma, they cited um, being concerned about being rejected or like losing their place within within their group, and especially for the military, the mm-hmm. being connected to the group is so vital because your yep. survival relies on it. Um, and losing their their masculine identity, their identity as male, they said, you know, we want I want to be protected from that experience, and so I'm doing these things and saying these things to not seem vulnerable at all. Yeah, which, but um, I feel like I'm recounting this like a movie, but it was a boring stats. <laughs> Article, but it's a great story. Yeah. So, but as the as the as the um, treatment group progressed, the language stayed the same. So, like very military masculine language, like get after it, don't leave a brother behind, things yeah. like that. But the meaning shifted drastically, and so like getting after it, for example, meant like sharing your emotions and being vulnerable right not leaving a brother behind meant don't if we're all here being vulnerable don't be the one who's not being vulnerable because don't isolate well kind of but like don't reject us yeah. you know or don't we're all here in this place and we want you here with us don't sure. don't throw this back in our face kind of a thing um we're all going deeper we're all doing it yeah yeah um and for me, that, that gets at something essential about how... And so this group was very effective right. for, for the, the participants, all male participants. And there's some core features to that. They weren't alone. They were connected with each other. They had shared meetings about what was okay and what wasn't. And in that context, in the group, vulnerability, emotion, connection, um, expressing fear, admitting weakness... That was acceptable. Everybody was okay yeah. with it. And so that fear of rejection was gone. Um, yeah. So it created this new, this new understanding for all the men to feel comfortable and to share and to, and to, to share experiences. So there's, there's the, the shared meaning. This is what we do together. There's the belonging piece, the connection, like, Hey, you're one of us. It's okay. You, mm-hmm. you belong here. Um, and there was trust. You yeah. Know, there was trust. Uh, one of th- I'm curious some of your reactions. I think this is probably the first time I've shared some of this. Oh, with yeah, this is you. the first time I've heard this. Yeah. yeah. So, how's it hitting you? I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, can I share some, some 
semi-personal experience of my own. Please, yeah. <clears throat> so when I was graduating college, and it's my first first job out of college, I worked at a place called Woodward Academy. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a residential treatment facility for, for uh, delinquent youths. And it's changed a lot, I'm sure, since I was there, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it was one of... It was one of the most enlightening and exciting, and, and I think I referenced this in a previous podcast, what really got me into this this caring field mm-hmm. in one way. Um, but one of the things that we would do, I worked on a floor that usually had about 30 clients on it from all over the United States, not just Iowa. Mm-hmm. And my floor was a community residential floor, which basically meant there was a lot of people um, there that were either heavily involved in gangs or drugs, violence, um, you name it. That's kind of that was kind of the the vibe of our floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that we we did every morning and then weekly is we had group guided intervention every morning. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was you know one lead staff and sometimes another staff, and then a few people watching it doing uh, group guided intervention with these young men. So. Mm-hmm kind of similar to what that is, what you're talking about with the study, but mm-hmm. a little different. But what we were always looking at were what were the norms of the group? And then we'd spend, mm-hmm. you know, once a week breaking these norms down, breaking down um, how to get people to connect, how mm-hmm. to change what the norms were, just like you're talking about in the study of like, mm-hmm. yeah, this meant something to them before this way. Mm-hmm. But if you had a, what we would call positive peer culture, mm-hmm. right? The meaning would change. The norm would change now that the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the standard may be there, but it would flip in what it meant to those kids mm-hmm. and then how they acted that out with one another, right? Mm-hmm. When you had a really positive peer culture, man, God, that job was fun. Cause mm-hmm. you would just see these change happen in these kids that went from like, you know, really hurting people, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is a whole podcast in itself for part of my experience mm-hmm. and, and coming to terms with stuff, mm-hmm. um, and challenging my word worldview, excuse me. But to like being able to hold each other accountable in a way of like, hey, we're not going to talk about these bad things. We're not going to glorify these bad things. We're not mm-hmm. going to continue to act in this way and try and to, to do this. Instead, we're going to connect together and find a way to, to grow mm-hmm. as a group and as individuals. Mm-hmm. And of course, you'd have the opposite when you had a negative peer culture and it was a mm-hmm. totally different ballgame. But mm-hmm. it was so fascinating to just see their peer culture. I mean, the, the staff are playing a role in this. But it was such peer driven where once they bought in and start to change what those narratives are mm-hmm. and the shared meaning like you're talking about, mm-hmm. man, it was it was really a beautiful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it was a uh, the kids in your unit mm-hmm. treatment unit. So they were living there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Things were yeah. their situation was so bad that they had to live in yeah, the they'd, treatment. They'd be there from six months to a year. Give okay. So they you they would collaborate together, work together on what it is they wanted as a community. Yes. And when it went well, it was they were united around positive values, positive experiences, Correct. positive relationships. And, um, when it didn't, the staff were trying to do that. Yeah. Always worked better with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so I had mentioned that those three factors: connection, trust, and shared meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear a lot of that in, in your story. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of some personal experiences as well, as well around this. Uh, but first, I just want to give a few more um, research bits um, in different contexts. And then, yeah, I, I have 
some some st- stories I'd like to share personally too. Um, another another article that I uh, read several times in my years of of you know exploring masculinity um, was by somebody on the east, <clears throat> a therapist on the east coast, who supplements his treatment with couples with a men's only couple support therapy group. Um, and his, he was, his research, and I, I, look, I wish I could remember his name, um, but I've looked at his model since then online um, on his website. And the whole idea behind, behind it is creating a community for the men um, as an effective tool for them to improve their relationships and, and mental health as well. And again, great outcomes. And there's mm-hmm. that, those, he described stories of those pieces where the, the isolation ended, you know, or ended is a hard word. I don't, isolation is kind of always there. In, it in, was aware. We mm-hmm. became aware of it. Became aware of it and, and then it went down. You yeah. Know? Um, There's an awareness around it and they were able to connect over their experiences in the, in the couples therapy. Um, they were able to make sense of what was going on. I think so often we don't have language as men for the emotional experiences that that were being introduced to in in therapy um, or outside of therapy as we go through them. And so to have therapists bouncing off ideas, giving names to things, other people in the group saying, yep, I went through that too. Here's how I got through it. Um, They created that shared meaning. And again, there's the trust that develops from that connection and shared meaning, you know. Yeah. and, and it was incredibly effective. Um, going back to the research again, one of the things that it says about barriers to men accessing mental health is the stigma. You know, there's, you know, there it is, break the stigma, right? Yeah. Um, but even engaging men in a relationship as a helper, a therapist, a doctor, a social worker mm. is so difficult. And um, there's a stigma involved yeah. in men themselves. Um, whether it's I don't belong here or this stuff is is not for me this stuff is crazy yeah. uh, who knows this stuff's right? for damaged people for damaged people yeah yeah like if I do this then I'm admitting I'm broken right um, but then also within the systems too it's like well men aren't going to show up so we're just going to go ahead and, yeah. and not even bother or men are dangerous or threatening so we just need to eliminate them from the equation you know, these are all stories that I've heard from from both sides of the system. You know, people's experiences with it. Um, so again, we have those themes of we have isolation and connection. We have what's the shared meaning around who men are in the picture of of receiving helping services. Where's the trust? You know. Yeah. Um, I think. I've often heard stories from other therapists, and I went through this early in my career too. Whenever a dad or a, or a male partner came into therapy, I'd always feel a little threatened. And I kind of want to like push back yeah. and put them in their place a little bit. Default, right? You want to challenge some male, huh? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. I get into this mindset of like, uh, I'm in charge. You know, which talk about plugging into a standard masculine narrative, <laughs> um, and sometimes that had to happen, but not not yeah. in a rough way, not a, but in a in a holding, you know, a way to hold space and say it's okay. Like I I got you. You're gonna be all right. You can do this. Anyway, um, 
Go ahead. Just bounce off your stuff real fast. I, don't, I was trying to find it. I don't have it on me anymore. I had it for one of our other episodes. But there was a study, I believe, done in the UK talking about barriers. They are interviewing men with barriers to uh, looking at therapeutic services. Yeah. And the one part that always that you were talking about this reminded me of it. The one that stood out, there were five of them. But one of the biggest ones was communication. Mm. Like there wasn't that shared language. There wasn't the communication mm-hmm. of how to move forward, what it looked like, acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of to back up your your other research yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so, I used to run a men's anger management and domestic violence prevention program in uh, at a clinic in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, and this was really my first experience of this as a professional. Um, you know, I came into the group. I watched these guys interact. They're all most were there. They weren't voluntarily there. It was they were in custody battles, and their lawyer said this would be a good idea. Um, they were on probation. Mm-hmm. It was part of their experience. But so often, men will lead with kind of like the stereotyped masculine topics, right? Objectifying, objectifying women, rejecting femininity. Yeah. Um, ultra capability, not autonomy, uh, independence. Yeah. You know, all of those Mm -hmm. standard things. You know, it's crazy because I'd watch it happen, you know, like a new person would come into the group and it was, it it became so predictable that it almost felt bad. Yeah. Like, you know, these, this thing would start happening. I mean, we've both been there, right? We talk Mm -hmm. about work, we talk about the sports teams. Mm -hmm. A lot of those guys would start saying bad things about their female partners and, you know all these things that were harmful to their situation and the same experience that was being described in the military studies happened in that group too some of the other guys you know usually with very little help from me and the other therapist we're just like hey man that's it's not what we're doing here not what we're doing here we're we're talking about accountability and vulnerability and, and getting better for ourselves and our families and stuff like that it was super cool yeah yeah no, you know, I, I never did anger management groups, but, but as I've referenced before, I spent 10 years working mm-hmm. with, you know, youth and it was almost, I mean, not, not exclusively, but you know, four out of every five would mm-hmm. come in doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it was this constant, like, all right, let me bring out this mask metaphor. Mm-hmm. You ain't got you don't got to explain it to me, man. Like, mm-hmm. it's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. What's the mask metaphor? You don't have to wear the mask. You have to put on the, you know, the super, I mean, it's, as we're talking about it, right? This mm-hmm. this only one way to be man mm-hmm. look, mm-hmm. You know, objectifying women, sports, the weather, um, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 whatever it is like. Yeah. It's not, you know, there's more to you than this. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Here's, here, I'll show you how. I'll start. Again, it's, it's in a relationship that it happens, mm-hmm. you know. It's with other people. Yeah. Um, other men, other males. Doesn't have to be though. I've seen it. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, the the best setup for group therapy is often a, a, a male and a female mm-hmm. therapist, no matter what, yeah. even if it's in a men's group. Um, you know, but it's it's the relationship piece. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Again, going back, these three factors: connection, shared meaning trust there's a lot more you know 
Um, but I think those are the three themes that are emerging. Uh, and just imagining all the context that these things could happen in. You know, I know a lot of men who um, go to church, partic- participate in faith groups. Um, I think I mentioned before, I'm not anymore, but I was deep into practicing my Catholic faith for most mm-hmm. of my life. And some of the most profound experiences of, of uh, friendship, of love, of connection have been, on, have been in uh, retreats, faith-based retreats with other men. Beautiful, beautiful experiences, yeah. you know. Um, there, the last place I lived in Minnesota, uh, before I moved down here to Iowa, I would, did this retreat in the Catholic Church where it was it's like a weekend thing, you know, and it was mm-hmm. all men. There was also an all-women's uh, retreat as well that my wife ended up doing. Um, but the way it worked was you'd go through as a participant, and the people that did it the session before you um, led your retreat. So it wasn't like the priest leading it, you know? It yeah. was like the, the people that did it before you. Yeah. Um, holy smokes. It was so powerful because people just told their stories. But then the next retreat, our group was the leaders, mm-hmm. you know? And... And, and we would meet every week. We'd go through this, like, this program where we were talking about faith, but we were also talking about our relationships, our mental health, our, yeah. our finances. You know, it was just this super supportive group. It also happened that I was going through a terrible depression at the time. Most of the year that I was involved in this group, mm-hmm. I didn't tell any of them mm-hmm. because I was embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Basically, my wife knew and my therapist, you know. Yeah. There was a, just a ton going on. But those Sunday night meetings were a lifeline for me. And yeah. when I was able to tell, so when you do the retreat, you tell your story as right. part of the retreat. Like I said, as the facilitator, so I told my story of uh, faith and going through hard times and stuff like that. Yeah. But about halfway through, I'm sure this won't surprise you, I had the script and I was like, that, this is not, like, what am I talking about here? Just put it aside and I, I shared this. Like, I was in a terrible place this last year. And these relationships were so responsible Mm -hmm. for me being able to go to work Monday through Friday and like the support that we had from the community because I was getting my doctorate at the same time for my family. Like that wasn't therapy. That was connection and trust and shared meaning. You know, we had this community um, that all of this was okay in. And it was so powerful. And this was before and then right as I was writing my dissertation. So I was like going through it. And then I was reading this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is what I'm living right now. Yeah. Um, really intense and really healing. Yeah. Wow. I got another one for you if you want. Unless you got some. You got some? I, I mean, I have one that's really similar. Yeah. Um, Please. Similar to you, I was in a really rough spot for a while, yeah. um, and I had I had joined a semi-farm slash joined we called it a men's group, mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, a friend of mine from high school who I was really close with, and then uh, a dude from his church, um, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be a, a faith-based mm-hmm. men's group, um, but at least from my experience, there's there's maybe a bit different. Mm-hmm. It must turn into exactly what you were talking. It turned a lot less into, you know, religion mm-hmm. and faith, mostly because I'd buck, a, buck up against their <laughs> religious outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it became about being okay with sharing personal pain. Mm -hmm. And then there was, I mean, for me, I looked forward to it, you know, every Mm -hmm. Friday morning when we were doing it because it it was a chance for me to, you know, call back here to take off my own mask, Mm -hmm. admit my own Mm -hmm. pain, talk Mm -hmm. about my struggles with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and have that sense of connection where I, I you know, it was hard for me to share that with anyone else. Yeah. Um, for I'm sure a plethora of reasons that, you know, didn't want to be viewed as weak, didn't want to admit it was a problem, mm-hmm. didn't know who else to talk to about without feeling judged. It goes um, back to the unsayable thing, right? Yeah. If I say this out loud, like I'm really sad yeah. or really scared right now and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. If we say it out loud, it becomes so real because again, now you have a part of my story and yep. I can't take it back. I can't For sure. it. Yeah. No, yeah, just, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. I started that story with, uh, you know, experiences of what helps. Um, I think it's vital to have these conversations with men that we trust mm-hmm. um, or people that we trust in general. You and I have both talked about our experiences with sports. Um, being a part of a sports team helped so much. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll probably sprinkle in pandemic talk, but I think one of the most painful things has been isolation for a lot of people. Um, and for a lot of men, sports is a way to connect. Yeah. You know? For me, my chosen sport's rugby. And so that does so much good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not therapy. It's just relationship. And it's yeah. fun. Yeah exercise like yeah. we've talked about you know um, and it doesn't just have to be sports you know I, I feel like it's almost not even doesn't need to be said given our context but shared activities yeah. where we're engaging in relationship and, and having um, connection connection mm-hmm. for sure I wanted to share one other story and then um, I'd love to hear what else you, what you're thinking of but um I was mentioning this before the podcast, uh, but teaser into my own life a little more. Um, my first two years of college were spent in the Catholic seminary, like I mentioned, <laughs> definitely into the church. I always forget this about you. Yeah, I know. Um, there is a lot to talk about there. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about there. Didn't you wear like a, some specific jacket all the time, all over the place? Uh, for a time, yes. Okay. We all had... Yeah. Jackets. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. But the experience of seminary, I'll just say it was one of the most beautiful, powerful experiences that I've had and one of the most damaging experiences that I've had, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, but I want to talk about one of the beautiful, powerful experiences, which is, gosh, it's so hard to have such deep pain and such deep love and appreciation for the same thing yeah. or the same person. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what it, what this experience was like for me. Um, as a, a teenager, high school, middle school, all of that, just really, I don't think, maybe most don't, I didn't have a conceptualization of what true friendship was, you know, mm-hmm. sort of, I had good friends, but we just did mostly surface stuff. Sure. Um, dipped in a little bit sometimes to some deeper hopes and dreams stuff but not much but when you get to seminary um at least my experience in in that particular seminary at saint thomas um in saint paul connection is like you have to (laughs) um and there are lots of reasons for that but it's built into the structure 
um, in part because isolation is one of the huge issues with the church and clergy abuse and all those things. But again, God, I'm bringing up these topics like, you know, just just the culture, just just the culture of secrecy and isolation that is facilitating the perpetuation of, of clergy sexual abuse for centuries at a time. No big deal, um, but it was it was a really beautiful thing about that experience. So we were we were part of um, small groups. We were part of large groups. We it, it, connection was was in a lot of ways very deeply facilitated. Um, I think some of our listeners now were people who were in the seminary with me, or or before me, or after me, and so I'm wondering how many stories, depending on their experience, are like, but it was messed up, or it was amazing. Yeah. So I'm trying to just continue to hold space for both of those things. Yeah. But I, this is what I was telling you before the podcast. It was the first time I think I experienced like a mutual love with friends yeah. that I would describe as love, and I sort of had this like what is this that I'm feeling right now experience? Because I'd never felt so much affection and connection and appreciation with another male yeah, or even outside of like a crush context, you know? Um, And I remember going through this internal process, like this is a, this is friendship. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I spent the first six months of that experience incredibly isolated. Very long story, but I basically didn't want to be there, and I was struggling a lot. Yeah. When I opened into relationship, everything changed. It was incredible. Um, and again, through our experiences inside and outside of the context of faith, um, conversations, trips, road trips together, connection, yeah, <laughs> shared meaning. It was okay to talk about these deep, deep things, um, but it also wasn't. We'll get to that yeah. at a future time. Um, and there was trust, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we had this relationship, so um, it's so integral yeah. into being well, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know if this fits for you, Anthony, mm-hmm. but like when when you're talking about that experience. I'm kind of reflecting on a few of my own, but I'm curious how much you just finally felt accepted, right? Continuing my little mass metaphor here, right? Oh, accepted yeah. on the other yeah, side totally. of it, where it's not just acceptance on this this one side that's totally, you know, already um, the norm, yeah. right? But now you, you're seeing, you can take that mask off. Yeah. You can show a different side of yourself, maybe yeah. a, the more truer side of yourself. Yeah. And people start to accept that. It's like, yeah. oh, this is this is that connection. This yeah. is that deeper meaning. Hopefully, you just reminded me of what how I wanted to end this episode. Cool. Like just now, and I don't remember if I told you this. You didn't. But there's a, <laughs> sorry. I think I thought of it last week. <laughs> I forgot to tell you. Um, here we go. But um, there's a responsibility on. So we're talking a lot about us as the strugglers, yeah. right? What do we do? How do we connect? But that's only half of it. Relationship involves two two sides. It's the person that's opening up and then the person that has to receive that Mm -hmm. vulnerability um so if we're talking about building a community of men let's just say that you know around yourself Mm -hmm. um, or even expand it to people it doesn't i I really believe this doesn't have to be exclusively male connection right um the receiver of the vulnerability has a responsibility too to 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 respect that and and cherish it um 
it's not uncommon in couples and family therapy that a man will be vulnerable. Thrown back. Right back at them. Yeah, like... It just perpetuates the cycle. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, 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 you're actually not supposed to do that. Yeah, it's not okay. And often there's a, this language around, we want this from you, we want this from you, we want this from you, and then it happens, and it's like... Never mind. Bah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is This is a lot. Yeah, yeah. this is a lot. Uh, I think we talked about that a little bit. Um, and I've heard stories. I've been through experiences. I've seen it happen countless times where a guy will try... We'll try to open up mm-hmm. and say, I'm struggling. And either it'll be dismissed, invalidated, will be brushed over with Hallmark card platitudes like, hey, just it's going to be all right. Just yeah. get through it. You know, you can do it. It is what it is. You can get through it. Well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that language. Um, so how I wanted to end. <laughs> sorry, I didn't tell you. I forgot just until now. Was to have a conversation a little bit about like what do you do if a man in your life opens up to you? Yeah. Whether you're a friend, a father, uh, a partner. Yeah. You know. Whatever. So, does that sound cool? Can we? Yeah. Can we go let's, there? Let's go there and and put a bow on episode three. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Monday afternoon version. I'm I'm interested to listen to this to see how like it's different because I, I feel different. If, anyway, I think we're okay. Here, here we go. Um, what do you think? What are what are some you know, of the things that come to mind? How to receive vulnerability? Yeah. How to respond to somebody if they are opening up to you? You know, that's a really hard thing for me right now. Actually, hmm. um, I don't know if it's just this transition in my life where you know I'm moving jobs into this new mm-hmm. new ish field for me mm-hmm. um, and trying to juggle. Part of my job was a cakewalk for the last six years. I saw. Yeah. Five people at a time. Yeah, I still did a lot of work, but like, yeah. not like I do now. Yeah, and there's a part of me that's like, man, for some people that reach out, I want to be like, will you go see a therapist already? Like, I can't be your therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm your friend. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that I think has really struggled with that mm-hmm. um, to a certain degree since mm-hmm. becoming a quote unquote real therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, you know, as mm-hmm. I say this out loud, it's kind of sad because mm-hmm. I got in this field to help people, and mm-hmm. you know. There, obviously there are ethical boundaries and, and all that type of stuff but for some people man that for me that's really hard mm-hmm. for others it's a little bit easier and I think mm-hmm. it's probably the ones that there's a uh, a deeper shared meaning there mm-hmm. um, but yeah like the relationship already exists. yeah and not that those other friendships are important too I'm not yeah. trying to say that but yeah. I don't know yeah. Just just more acceptance probably on both ends of that, you know, that unmasked side. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the things... I'm playing into this narrative a little bit. It's good. That's yeah. fine. You know, it happens. Sure. That's why we're talking about it. Yeah. I had to go through a learning process with this too. Yeah. You know, it started for me with compliments. Mm-hmm. When people give me compliments, they're like, Bleh, you know, and I would discount everything. You know, hey, yeah. I loved the meal you cooked. Well, you know, I kind of burnt the chicken or, you know, just, yeah. it's so invalidating, but it was a protective way. Anyway, yeah. I don't remember who taught me this, but I cannot take credit for it. I learned it somewhere along the way. The power of a thank you. Mm. You're not going to commandeer that saying this week. What one? Power of a thank you. Oh, no, no. The other one's mine. It's definitely not mine. I was thinking about it. Um, but gratitude when people yeah. are vulnerable with you. So like if somebody comes to you and shares vulnerability, yeah. you know, hey, I'm struggling, 
saying thank you, yeah. like thank you for sharing that, or you know, however less cheesy way you want to say, like I yeah. really appreciate being able to talk to you about this. Yeah, that's so powerful for um, sure. Because when we when people come to us with their vulnerability, there's there's not many occasions where they want an instant fix. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be heard. We want yeah. to be heard. I'm gonna stop saying they. Like when yeah. I say to somebody. This is what's going on. I, I first want to be heard. Yeah. And so just reflecting to somebody, thank you. Mm-hmm. One of the other things can be just validating what they're, what you, they just said to you, you know, oh my God, that sounds really hard. Yeah. Um, or I, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Uh, again, fill in whatever less cheesy ways you want to say those things. Um, so gratitude, validating their experience asking more questions about it tell me more about what's been happening um what's going on i didn't know this tell me more you know that's an invitation into more connection um rather than the fix it going for a solution that's a shutdown right you know even if it our best intentions might be i'm going to help you with this problem you know Mm -hmm. um it's so asking more what yeah what's going on tell me more tell me more of the story yeah Sharing, so okay, so I'm, I'm doing the teacher thing right now. Gratitude, <laughs> do this, do this, validate, yeah, you know, ask more questions, open, open the invitation. Yeah. Um, even if you just say something like, I don't even know what to say right now, this is so, yeah. this sounds so hard, you know, share your own story too. That's number four if you're taking notes, you know, meet them in their vulnerability, you know, don't, don't be like. Well, that's not as bad as the one yeah. time my grandma died. Right. But you, you, you can say, using that example, I remember going through that when my grandma passed away. Yeah. Um, yeah this, is what it, this is what it was like for me. Is that what's going on for you? Yeah. Um, so reciprocating that vulnerability. Another one is asking if they need help or what you can do. Yeah. You know, man, this sounds so hard. Is, is there anything I can do? Yeah. You know, how can I help? Asking permission to help before just assuming people want help is great. Sure. You know, um, they might just say, no, this is great. Yeah. Just keep hanging out. That's all I need. Yeah. Um, and then probably the last thing, well, I'm thinking of two other things. Ensure that trust, right? You're facilitating connection by validating and being grateful and, and inviting more. Ensure the trust. Like, hey, this, I really appreciate you sharing this with me will you know, unless you want me to talk to somebody about it or right keep this private and, and then inviting them to reach out again yeah you know checking in checking in how you doing yeah you know, I, so many times i've had experiences with other men where it's really powerful connection no follow-up no yeah you got ghosted or i ghost myself yeah you know i don't want to put it always on the other person you no. know it's you, yeah step away and i'm like i said too much you know mm-hmm I pushed them they, away. Yeah, yeah. They said I could reach out, but that was too. Yeah, that yeah. was that was too too much. So, for you, the person receiving the vulnerability, being sure that you're you're letting them know, hey, this is okay. You know, thanks. Mm-hmm. There's this new social practice of having a wonderful time with somebody and then texting them later that night. <laughs> Have you noticed that? No. I was a bit of a social dinosaur with this one, but like if you have a good time with somebody, like a couple, or the, you know, yeah. for, for my wife and I are me- out meeting a new couple that we're hanging out with, new friends, or yeah. 
or whatever. I had a good night with my buddies, you know, even, yeah, it's just like, that was awesome. Thank you. I had a great time, you know, that's new to me. I think it's been going on a lot, but I, I sort of had this like strange experience of like, this is like, this is like putting a seal on that good time. (laughs) You know, it's like one final, yes, this was awesome. So I, I do it more intentionally now. Yeah. Sorry, just when you said that, I was thinking of like that that old dating girl. I mean, you and I have been with our wives for a long time at this point, right? But it's like you don't text someone, you don't reach out for three days, right? Uh, yeah. Here you are talking about in a relationship with other people, like, hey, I need to confirm that this was good. Yeah. Like, I really value our time together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been with my wife for thirteen years. Yeah, I am so far out of the game. Yeah. That is, I've probably never even really played. <laughs> I'm so terrified about when my kids are dating. They're like, Dad, what do you do? Uh, I just started texting the year before your mom and I got together. <laughs> probably when they're, we when they're dating, there will be this like VR <laughs> yeah. teleportation where they can yeah. meet up in this virtual world and they're not even aware of their bodies. And we're, we're, we were so old. We started. We started just texting. We didn't even have the ability to do any of the fun stuff that you kids <laughs> yeah. do. We could just send messages. Yeah, that God. was it. So, oh man, yeah. <laughs> I I really actually hate reminiscing like this, like back in the day. Yeah. But it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's what I've got as far yeah. as like what you can actually do when somebody. And okay, I'll just say this: it's so important. Even if you're super uncomfortable, just say thank you. Yeah. And ask. What else is going on? Getting rejected by your friends or somebody you're trying to be vulnerable with, people remember that and it yeah. will stop them from doing it again for years. Sure. Years. Yeah. Yep. For sure. You got anything to add to that? No, no. Um, okay. I think you're spot on. Okay. And I think, you know, as I was saying with my example, like, I think it's. I am a therapist. I know these things. Yeah. And even I recognize that I don't do a great job with that mm-hmm. with other males that are important in my life. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've been better at it than other times than others, but mm-hmm. like even recognize like, Hey, mm-hmm. it's, this is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People often make a joke when my wife and I are together and we're meeting a new person or a new couple. I'll say what I do. I'm a family therapist professor and all that stuff and they're like wow you guys must have a great marriage <laughs> hey listen i'm a person yeah. you know i can teach it yeah. talk about it living it is so much harder all got flaws it's so much harder yeah. yeah but in my experience worth it yeah for sure ask me tomorrow i might say something different <laughs> if it's been a hard day <laughs> ah vulnerability it's terrible yeah <laughs> anyway no it's worth it okay um our time is winding down. Our time is down. So, uh, again, pending uh, diversion from the plan, we're going to be stepping back from, from some of these statistic pieces and, and talk about some of the cultural dynamics that are involved in our experience of, of being male in today's yeah. world. Next yeah. time. Next time on the Becoming Man podcast. On the Becoming Man podcast. Please subscribe. continue to reach out. Oh, yeah. yes. Subscribe, subscribe, rate, review. Unless rate, you have a bad review, review, then just text it to us instead. Like. Yeah. Follow us. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Also, Follow Facebook, know. Instagram. Becoming Man podcast blowing up. We're in nine countries. We are in nine countries. Look at that. That's very cool. It's exciting. 
Thank you our in, yeah. to our international listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> it's wonderful. All right. Signing off for today. Thanks, yeah. everyone. Be well, guys. We'll see you. Bye.